20,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, Ph.D., in our feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today, Melody will be talking with Hannah. Hannah is an improviser, a weightlifter, a business owner, and a witch. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? In select places, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast application. If you use the iTunes app, you can review us directly on the app. Check it out today. Because you always get extra FKJ points if you leave us a review. On the social media tip, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. On Facebook, you can like us for episode updates or join our closed community page, which is Feminist Killjoys Community WTF Power! We also have a book club on Facebook. Ask around to see what's up about that. On the Spotify, otherwise known as The Fi, we have a Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape curated by Rachel. Just this weekend, I almost went over my data listening to Spotify in the car. (laughs) Have some extra dollars and want to support feminist media makers? You can donate to our website, feministkilljoyspodcast.com, for a one-time donation. Just scroll down and click on the birdie. Or you can become a Patreon on our Patreon site. Just search for our podcast name. Patreon people who give us anything, a dollar or more, will receive a Feminist Killjoy review newsletter in your email box every week. And also, if you give us more than $5 a month, five or more, you are privy to bonus episodes that we record just for you. And as always, you can email us. Thank you, Janie, for all of your emails. As always, great email buddy that we have. Uh, She emails us at fkj.phd at gmail.com. Does Janie use she, her, or they, them? Crap. Um, I think she, her. Okay. And how are you, Rachel? I am well. That was another fabulous rundown of where people can find us. Uh, And definitely, I just want to echo to leave us a review because we are so appreciative when people do that. Um, I'm well. I, you know, very appropriately for our witch month, uh, went to a witch workshop this past weekend in Salem with my friend Shannon, who is going to be our guest next week on the show with my friend Claire. And we went to a workshop at a place called House Witch, which is my favorite store in Salem. It is like, I walk in that store and I'm like, oh, this is what like a visual depiction of what my heart looks like. It's just like really like cute and hip and feministy and witchy and social justice-y and also just like, it's just like so aesthetically pleasing. I just love it. The energy is really fucking amazing. So anyway, they host workshops and uh, Sarah, who is the woman behind the Many Moons Workbook, which we talk about so much on the show, uh, hosted this workshop in Salem on intuition And it was so fucking cool. And I really felt empowered. Reading tarot myself has kind of been the thing that I haven't delved into. And it really empowered me to to start trying to read tarot more. And that was really exciting because that's um, something I didn't feel confident in. But we learned that and a million other things. It It was really great. So that was super fun. And it just made the week really great. And other than that, just normal stuff. 
got some good news about some job stuff in the spring, um, but also just in the mode of applying for full-time TT jobs for next fall uh, and staying busy with that and staying busy with all my all my side projects, uh, including Dear Comrade Femme, which uh, folks write me letters because I'm finishing up my second letter of that advice column. And I don't have any other letters. People told me they really liked it. It's gotten a lot of reads, but I only got two letters. So you should write me so I can respond via advice column. They should email me at rachelannjolie at gmail.com. And there's, it's difficult to spell because I'm difficult. So if you can't figure that out based on all the social media places you can find me, uh, just direct message me or find me through FKJ. I also really appreciate that you could still get a Gmail account with that name. I'm, that's great. But yeah. also the one problem with having our names is that people need to know how to spell it. Otherwise, it right, exactly. through. So yeah, yeah. Bloopity, bloopity, blop. Yep. Anyway, how about you? How are you? My goodness, I'm doing really well. I went hiking this uh, weekend up in close to Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah, it was like one of those like, this is why I love fall. Like fall leaves, fall weather, hiking, doing some, you know, physical activity. Yep. We ate at this cute cafe that had plenty of vegan options. We ran into, so we were up in Duluth, which for people who aren't from Minnesota is like two hours north of here, but it's a place that people in the city go to kind of escape city life because it's very beautiful and there's lots of hiking and like natural things, a big lake, Lake Superior is up there. At any rate, we ran into the owners of my favorite pet shop in town, Urban Tales. Oh my gosh, they were like, how random. Yeah, Amazing. they were at the brewery that we were at and the brewery we were at is like a, a co uh, my partner's co-worker at his brewery that he works at. Anyways, like mm-hmm. kind of friend of a friend thing. So we're like, let's go yeah. check out this brewery that John used to work at. And then, yeah, the Urban Tales people were there. So it was just really random to see them. So I just had a good That's weekend. Amazing. You know, I've been good. trying to, there's this, like, I was talking to some people about choosing the things I want to do, you know, and, it's, and so I've been asking myself a lot is like, is this what you actually want to be doing right now? And if it's yeah. not, don't do it. Meetings that I don't have to go to yep. or another email of free labor that I don't need to give yep. away. Right. And so I've been trying to focus on that a lot, which has been really helpful. I mean, it's a slow process, but yeah, something I've been focusing on. So I encourage everybody to ask themselves throughout the day, is this what I want to be doing right now? We actually talked about exactly that kind of thing in the intuition workshop, because, you know, you can, you're literally checking in with your intuition to figure out what, what will help you get best, like in what Sarah referred to as flow, some people call alignment, but like what is going to serve you and your sort of core needs. And usually your core needs, you know, if you believe in this shit, like your core needs are actually what is best for everybody else around you. So because even if it's like, well, actually, if I did that email, that would help those people. Well, but then you'd be like bitter and resentful and putting that energy out in the world. So don't do that. Oh, we're so much happier in the fall. Listen to us. We're just like, things are great. Oh. To like old, if we were doing an RWO, which are not because it's which month. But I would say like Death Cab. I pulled out all my old yeah. fall music, <laughs> like yeah. Death Cab, Band of Horses. And yeah, totally. Like that, so. That's great. Um, Love it. Okay. Love it. Cool. So tell us about Hannah. I'm really excited to hear this interview. Yeah. So Hannah, as uh, Rachel said, is an improviser of com- comedy. So she's actually a friend of John G's, a best friend of the podcast. And so we do talk a little bit about him um, and kind of like why she 
like, I was like, why did John want me to have you on this podcast so bad? And so she explains why. She's also a weightlifter and business owner and a witch, like Rachel said. So she owns Solcana Fitness, which is basically a liberation barbell, but for Minneapolis. Cool. It's not as like, we talk about how it's not as explicit as, as Lacey's and that's not a judgment or anything, but I think Hannah might be in Portland right now as we're recording this, hanging out with Lacey. Amazing. (laughs) I know. So if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you're going to like hear about some mutual people that are on the podcast. Anyways, it's like a lot of small worlds coming together, but just to go back to Solcana, it's a queer friendly, social justice minded, trauma informed feminist gym in the Seward neighborhood of Minneapolis, which is a cool, like, hippy-dippy area of town. And we do talk about witch stuff, but I need to warn my witchy people that we don't get into it, like, right away because we had to, like, really process, like, both being friends with John and knowing all about queer feminist gyms and knowing Lacey and uh, just talking about some feministy stuff first. And so we're going to... We talk about that right away, and then we get into witchy stuff, which... Rachel actually introduced perfectly because she talks about tarot. So tarot is her cool. thing. And so she talks, um, I kind of ask her like as a newbie to explain to me what tarot is and what it means to her and how it's been, how tarot, like what tarot's history is, but also how it's been updated to reflect the queer community, feminist community, all that stuff, even yeah. though it never necessarily was oppressive in the way that other rituals and practices have been in the past um Mm -hmm. she just talks about some cool tarot decks that are available now that maybe resonate with people more than a traditional deck would yeah so does she talk about the christy road deck she did not mention her specifically but it might be what what is her tarot deck called you know next world's tarot i don't think so so we can Okay, we'll right talk now. about it another time. I'm getting it in the mail soon. I can't wait. No, anyway. that's cool. But you'll see. I mean, she talks about similar decks that I think will resonate cool. with you as well. So I'm so excited to hear this because we haven't really delved in. People have mentioned tarot this month, but nobody's gone like expanded on that. So this will be great. Yeah, that's why this month is the best month because yeah. our guests are just like amazing and they complement each other so well. They fill the gaps with the other people. I mean, we only have an hour, right? So like you can't talk yeah. about everything. And so collectively, it's an amazing collection of resources that that we're so honored to share with everybody. Yay, well, take us there. All right. Our mutual friend John was like, yes. you got to have Hannah on. You got to have Hannah on. I was like, who was Hannah? Like, here's Hannah. You got to have her on. Have you had <laughs> Hannah on yet? Hey, I was just wondering, did you interview Hannah? I was like, John, we're getting to it like in October. My question for you is why was he so insistent on you coming on this show? Like, why did he think you'd be a good person? I totally trust him, but he's, you know, he's fanatic about it. So I think John and I have really bonded over the last few years of over being people who are like, both of us have been involved in the improv comedy scene in Minneapolis for 10 or more years. I think he's been involved for about 10 years and we kind of came up at the same time in the scene and we both sort of became disenchanted in different ways. Like he was really struggling with like being black and being on stage and not feeling represented. And I was really struggling with feeling like as a woman, I was constantly getting harassed off stage, And then on stage, I was getting belittled. And that those two things ended up really bonding us together. Mm-hmm. And we both sort of started creating waves in the improv scene around the same time. Like, him with with uh, creating 
Blackout, which is the improv group that he runs now. And it's also like, it's not just an improv group. It's also, you know, has a social justice uh, orient, like, you know, facing mm-hmm. piece to it. And I started, first of all, I started doing improv with this group called Second Wave Feminist Nightmare on <laughs> Place. You're in that. You're in that crew. Yeah, that's my crew. Oh, the the you're the ones that do the the news, right? Yes. Yeah, we do like a talk show, and it's and we pull up articles um, and do improv based on them. But mostly, we do like these characters, these second wave feminist characters that are sort of like man hating, really like disgusting. There's some pieces to it too, where where we kind of play with some of the second wave stuff that didn't work out well, Mm -hmm. like you know lack of intersectionality and transphobia we kind of play with those ideas a little bit to make the audience uncomfortable no matter who they are <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah I started playing with them and that kind of like started opening up some things in me and then I a whole bunch of things were happening in the improv scene around the country involved and I'm, I'm sure you you read about this involving um, theaters in New York and Chicago with people coming forward and saying that they'd been sexually assaulted by their teachers that they were feeling unsafe in the theaters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that conversation started to spur one in Minneapolis where we were talking about is this happening to us you know people started sharing their stories and from that me and four other women got together and created this thing called fair play fair play is an organization that basically works to create equitable space for women and trans and femme people on stages in, in the Twin Cities. And so now we've been around for like 18 months, maybe a little bit longer. I would say we're the troublemaker. We're a little bit of troublemakers in the Twin Cities. And John is a troublemaker too. So mm-hmm. we bond very, very strongly over that. I'm a troublemaker in all my, the rest of my life too, because I also run a gym called Sulcana Fitness that's like explicitly queer friendly, social justice oriented, feminist trauma-informed, just as much as I can be appealing to people who feel marginalized in a gym. Like, that's the place that I've created. Um, and so I think probably John was like, you should talk to her because she spends her whole life thinking about feminism and, like, the role of women and the role of white women and, like, how to create safe space and, yeah. Rad. I feel like, have we ever met in person? I don't, I don't think so. But, but I don't know. Like somehow I'm not sure how that's possible because <laughs> yeah. like I did John's when he organized that equity, equity, the black, you know, yeah. what was it called? I can't. The stages, our voices, our stages. Yes. Thing. I'm on like, I just like got up at three thirty for a flight. So <laughs> for listeners, I'm a little, a little tired and not choosing my words correctly. Yeah. So I did that and he had me speak at it, which I was like, John, I know nothing about improv. I'm hilarious, but I know nothing about the improv scene. Were you there? I was Skyping in. Okay. So yeah, then- so I wasn't there. I was watching it, though. I watched the live feed because I actually, like, the weekend they organized it, I can't remember where I was, but I was, I was like, in another part of the country watching. Okay. Yeah, because Fair Play came up during yeah. the discussion that I had. And one thing that I super appreciate about Fair Play is that you have, like, no – tolerance for sexual assaulters and harassers in your scene, which is like, I can't tell you and you know how important it is because you know how, how sexual harassers and assaulters are usually dealt with, which is like barely at all. And everybody just kind of tolerates it. And maybe we'll kind of say like, hey, avoid that guy or that person. You know, but like, you're just like, no, we're gonna like call this shit out and like, yeah, well, I think all of us had this joint experience of 
and, and many of the women we talked to as well, not just the five of us, but all of us had this experience of having been in a situation before where we felt uncomfortable and we tried to bring it up to somebody and they're basically like, oh, well, that sounds like a you problem. Like, I, I can even say, like, I explicitly, mm-hmm. somebody uh, in, this, in the improv scene was, like, harassing me and had, you know, exposed themselves to me. And I had told our director, we were in a group together, I was like, I'm leaving this group because this person makes me feel unsafe and these are the things that they did. And his response was, um, that's really unfortunate. We'll miss you. Instead so, of who is the guy? Let's get him out of here. Oh yeah. He knew who he was. I gave him his name. I said, Ugh. I'm leaving because of that person right there who did this thing. Mm. Um, you know, so your choice, you can get rid of me or get rid of him. And really like, and I think this is the case everywhere, not just Minnesota, but that whole thing about not wanting to cause waves. I'm just like, I'm so over that. I'm just so done with that. Yeah, because that's not how things are supposed to run. That's not how you keep people safe. And, like, that's not how you bring the best people to the top. That's how you keep, you know, that silent approval of, of people who are in power and abuse that power. Like, that, that has to end. Mm-hmm. And it has to be called out by people in groups because you can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. That's why I think that fair play is really so strong is because – it's much harder to say when the five of us email you and say, Hey, we saw your show and we had, we took some issue with this thing. Can we talk about it? It's a lot harder to say no. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That probably keeps you busy though. Cause I know it, everything gets better. Right. But I mean, in the bike yeah. world, and this was the other reason why I'm like surprised I haven't met you because I know like babes in bike land. Like, Oh, I know. All, yeah. They had their party at our gym. Right. And so it's like, yeah. it reminds me your style of activism is very grease rag esque, you know, just kind yeah. of like call out culture and we're going to call you out on your shit instead of just talking about it by ourselves. You know, we might organize by ourselves, but then we're going to contact you and people listen because when you have that kind of power as fair play or grease rag, like not that we use it for evil or anything, but like we can impact like who supports you in the future. Exactly. exactly. As, as we the, should. That's the biggest thing is like we, yeah, we ha- now have the opportunity to say, Hey, what we do actually affects the you just like what you do affects us because it's always so one sided when one person is in power they have so much control over what happens to the people that they have power over, and then it's never reciprocal. And in this case, it's reciprocal, which terrifies the people who are normally in power. Yep. And then maybe some different people could come into power, and maybe that would help fix some things as well. Yeah. Radical, I, I know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think it has really affected the way the community reacts and the way the community deals with issues. And I have seen a lot less issues coming up, but also more people dealing with them in a way that's like appropriate before they become big. Right. Learning how to create boundaries that are safe and making everyone feel totally empowered in the classrooms so that by the time they get on stage and they're performing regularly or creating groups, they already have these tools and they know how to talk to each other. So if something comes up, it can be squashed instead of saying, you know, what the experience I had is where, one guy is making everyone uncomfortable and then it just gets worse and worse and worse and no one ever brings it up and then something really bad happens. This is what really drives me up the wall about this kind of stuff is that, you know, privately we'll have complaints and we'll, you know, do the normal situation, but then nobody that has the power does anything to stop it. 
And so, and then we come to them being like, something bad is going to happen. They're like, and then something bad is really good. And then something bad happens. And it's like, really, we could have like, not had to deal with this. But yeah, we weren't we told you this would happen because in our experience, it always happens. And you didn't believe us. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Peace. Well, it's so funny because Grease Rag for a while was uh, Laura Levinson was teaching like a femme trans like women only mobility class at Solcana for Grease Raggers. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was like kind of recent, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Is that technically a CrossFit gym? Yeah, we offer CrossFit. We offer CrossFit, endurance, and mobility, and oh. like and strength training. What is mobility? It's yeah. like yoga, but except for super, super yin. So it's very stretchy and chill. And there's we don't use any yoga words. Oh. It's more just like it's like lead stretching. So it's focused on people who do other activities in their lives and want something that's way more low key for their stretchiness. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, or just people who want something super nurturing. That's really nice. That's really nice. I didn't know that. I just, I learned something new every day. So then I'm assuming you know Lacey Davis then, because she has a a gym similar. Yes. So we we actually haven't been in the same place yet. I'm, or I'm going to Portland to meet with her. Well, I'm going to Portland for other reasons, but I'm, while I'm there, I'm going to have the opportunity to like hang with her and hopefully lift with her. Cool. Um, but our mutual friend Amy K. Yeah, is, I know Amy. Yeah, is an acupuncturist in the cities, and she does group acupuncture at Solcana. She's been coming to Solcana since we opened. Oh, um, she's a powerlifter, so she knows Lacey. So she introduced me to Lacey and Liberation Barbell and all of that. And I think it's cool because obviously I'm trying to run a gym that's just like that. So I'm excited to like go talk with her and and like learn about her experience and kind of what she's taken away. I mean, it's very new. Her gym is very new. Right. So I'm hoping I can offer some, some thoughts on the business side of things and things. And she can offer me some thoughts on her like ideology and how she, how she envisions her gym. Man, I'm so excited for you to meet Lacey. She's great in real life. Um, she's awesome. And yeah, I was just thinking that too, that like, you're going to be so such a goldmine of information for her too. Like, because you you're I mean, your name is pretty big in Minneapolis, if I do say so myself, the name is around. I mean, I think you've done really smart. I hate to talk about like, feminist activism as like marketing, but like, you've been really smart at who you target. Something that I appreciate about the gym is that you don't, I don't want this to sound bad. It's not like the gym is called queer femme women trans only gym, you know, like it just seems like meaning that people are going to come into the gym possibly and just think it's like, I don't know how to word it, but sure. We get like regular ass straight people all the time who are just like, I'm here for CrossFit. And then I get the joy of bringing them into a community where they're going to feel like more empowered to talk about their other identities. Hopefully there you go. go. And where they're going to meet people who have cool, interesting identities that they can communicate with them. Right. Like we have some really, you know, jacked looking dudes who you might see anywhere, but mm-hmm. you know, they chose to be in our community because just because they, they embody that certain thing doesn't mean that they feel like they want to be that way or, you know, that stereotype. And they are actually interested in getting to know people and being in a community that's like this. And I think the in the, the way in which your gym is marketed the, or the branding or whatever marketing term you want to use, it, it's not alienating either. So then, you know, people who like you just described 
will feel comfortable coming in. Not, I mean, of course, every gym they feel comfortable coming into. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's important for people to experience a gym like that. So they know that, you know, maybe the gym that they visited in the past might not be the most welcoming for everybody. You know, I think it's just. Yeah. Or even for experience. them. Sure. You know, that's true. I think that's a true. lot of people posture in, in a gym like yes. setting people are really posturing into what they think is expected of them to get. And that's just like a, it's a survival method. Getting rid of that need for posturing can open some things up for those people that normally fit the role of like gym guy or gym girl. They totally. might actually feel a little more relaxed. They don't have to put on such a show like they can really just be themselves. They can fail. They can try things that they didn't expect would work. You know, they can. They can work with people who they w- wouldn't normally feel comfortable approaching. Exactly. Exactly. That is so cool. Okay. So I didn't know that I had so much in common with H- Hannah here. <laughs> we actually have you on. Well, you're going to have to come back and talk about all this other stuff in more detail. Right. But we actually have you on to talk about your witchy stuff because you seem to be a jack of all trades, gender neutral <laughs> jack of all trades. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know what? I did not ask your pronoun, your preferred pronoun. We usually do that oh, with gossip. Yeah. So sorry. That's okay. I use she, her. Okay. She, her for me as well. Just got too excited to chat with you. Okay. You know what? Just like ran right through it. Yep. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I've yeah. yelled that at people like walking out the door of the gym. They come in, they're like talking to me about it, and I'm like so excited, and they're walking out, and I'm like, oh, by the way, what's your pronoun? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. And I've been trying to get better at, like when I talk about a new person, like, oh, Hannah, you know, I really want you to meet my friend Aiden, Z here, Uh, Z is really good at blah, 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 and I just like fit it into a sentence, and then so then like, that's my, my new goal. And then it kind of, I don't know, it's just I'm trying it as like a new thing. So then there doesn't, yeah. because I think some some of the weirdness that people feel is like having to stop, like, quote, unquote, stop the conversation, like what, what, sure. what we just did, you know, I'm totally comfortable doing it. But if people are like newer to it, it kind of like newer to asking pronouns, it kind of yeah, makes things right. a little easier. We do it every day at the gym, like when we circle up for class, we always do names, pronouns, and then a question. I love so it. So it's just like, at this point, it's become totally commonplace. It's in my email signature. Like, I usually tell people when I, you know, first meet them, especially if I'm going to, if I'm just like meeting them on the street or whatever, I might not jump into it right away just because I feel like, you know, it's also personal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if I'm meeting someone new and I'm going to hang out with them, I try to slip it in. Exactly. And I think, I swear I'm getting to the witch stuff. <laughs> but the other thing <laughs> okay. with the um, the pronouns within organizations is I think it, it becomes normalized a lot faster than people might expect. Because I saw that happen at the Minneapolis Bike Coalition, now known as Our Streets, that when Lowe was there, Lowe was, is kind of a Lacey's kind of a Hannah in terms of really changing cultures around, for them, gender pronouns, um, especially like in spaces that usually don't deal with that kind of stuff or choose not to deal with that stuff. And so they normalized gender pronoun sharing in, in a pretty mainstream bike organization, now a bike yeah. and pet organization. And yet now, I mean, their lasting legacy is that everybody in that organization has pronouns in their email signature. And they really inspired me, like, even if they're even if an organization is choosing not to do a gender pronoun go around, I still do it. Yep. Just I, to I kind of make people well. think about or I, with name tags, you know, they, they just really got me thinking about how important it is to not assume anybody's gender. And yeah, so anyways, they've really normalized things a lot in certain sectors of Minneapolis. So that's cool. Well, I need to meet that person. Totally. 
Okay. <laughs> Should we talk about witch stuff? Yeah, let's try it. <laughs> Happy October. Awesome. Yeah. So so I think John wanted us to talk about all that other stuff too, but you disclosed to us as well that you're you, you identify as a witch, technically. I I do. So it's, I would say that's a pretty new part of my identity. I totally have, I feel like I have imposter syndrome right now because I want to totally. give you everything I can. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm still such a, I'm, a, I'm totally a witch baby. And like, I don't have, um, I could have some witch mamas who help me out and like Aww. are help guide me in that way. But, but I, you know, I feel like I recent, I really recently came into this feeling of personal power around tarot specifically but really around trusting my intuition and using my intuitive abilities for my own benefit, for my own recovery, for my own reflection. And that that part of me has given me the ability to say like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fucking witch. <laughs> when did you decide that you felt at least a little bit comfortable enough to share that, to start identifying as a witch? Like, was there a moment or did it just well, start feeling more comfortable? It's funny because when I was younger, that was a totally a big part of my identity. Like I was actively pagan and like experimenting with witchcraft, like all through middle school, high school, even in a little bit into college. And then I kind of like turned off that part of my identity. I really, I just think like, and I don't know if other people experience this in college, but there's this weird thing that happens in college where suddenly you're trying to figure out who you're supposed to be instead of just who you are. And mm-hmm. I think uh, during that time, I sort of like put aside any emotional identities that I had at all and really focused on like my intellectual self. And then as a result of that, anything that involved intuition kind of went to the wayside. So now that I'm 30 and I can't give any fucks anymore, I re- <laughs> like really re-embraced that part of my life. I've always felt like I had psychic intuition. Like I've always been able to like sense things before they happen and also just like sense how, how people feel without being told or, you know, even if they're not clearly demonstrating it, like Mm -hmm. I've walked away from situations and said to other people, Oh, couldn't you tell they were experiencing this? And they're like, no. So I've always felt like I've had some psychic intuition, psychic empathy. And I think that's what draws me to tarot specifically versus other forms of witchcraft, which are awesome. And I, and I sort of like envy from afar and have dabbled in, but don't feel particularly skilled in. Mm-hmm. Tarot is so much based on uh, intuitive process. And there are certainly like rules, but you don't have to follow them. And sometimes you feel urge urges not to, and that's kind of cool. So uh, that's what, that's what really brought me into tarot specifically is that feeling of like trusting my intuition, using my intuition and having a tool that I can use to express it. Yeah, that's really neat. It, that just that little anecdote made me think about um, like conversations that I have with my father, where I'll call him and I'll be like, it's not the psychic intuition stuff, but it's noticing really wild connections in the universe. Mm-hmm. Like it's beyond a coincidence or beyond the Alanis Morissette concept of ironic or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like uncanny, like it's really it's otherworldly. And so him and I will often have phone conversations about that, like, you'll never guess what happened. And of course, I cannot think of any examples right now. It's true that if you don't pay attention to that kind of stuff, which is very common for somebody like me who likes to work a lot and stay busy, that your brain is too much consumed with the intellectual stuff. But if you actually take the time to tune into what your body and brain is actually thinking about, you'll notice some really wild things. Yeah. So my question for you is, how how did you get into 
tarot reading and then also what is it like for people who aren't familiar so not yeah. all of our listeners are witches or baby witches so like yeah just take walk us through it a little bit well so i'll just start with basically what is it so tarot has been around for a long time it was developed initially like in the like mid 15th century and it was a it was like a card game then it was like oh mostly just a, like a fun card game and then much much later it started to be used for like divinations type of stuff and started actually being connected to more magical elements there are different versions of the tarot but the kind of the one that's known the most is the rider weight and that's the one that most people would like recognize the rider weight deck and okay. and most of the decks that you see are kind of inspired by that now so there are 78 cards in a deck and you might have a deck that is like nowadays there are so many people who are you know re sort of reinvigorating the the craft that there are lots and lots of decks being made by smaller artists that might have like extra cards in them like I have a deck that has 80 cards so it has a couple of extra ones that the artist has used that that they felt inspired by and there are two suits. So traditionally, there's 78 cards, and there's two suits, the major and the minor, the minor arcana and the major arcana. And then within that, there are like the different court cards, so, so the king, queen, the knight, and the page. Although now there's all these cool queer decks that don't have all of those like super patriarchal, Aww. matriarchal pieces as well. So there are four suits as well. So there's the wands, the swords, the pentacles and the cups. Again, those can kind of be different depending on the deck you have. Like I have a deck where the pentacles are actually called crystals and it just depends on the artist's interpretation. Okay. Each of the suits relates to a different part of your life. So the swords are generally about like your logical brain and they're an air sign. So they're related to more of like what's up in your head. Cool. The pentacles, that's more about like what's grounding you. So your earth signs so like your home stuff and financials things that kind of like keep you in in the real world and then the wands are about the creative self so that's that's more about like your creative fire your passion and then the cups are the emotional self there's numbers within them so you might have like the two of cups or the two of swords mm-hmm. those numbers go all the way up to 10 and then you get into the core cards similar to like a regular deck of cards in that way yeah then there's the majors, and so those the major arcana, those are the big those are the big ones, like the fool, for example, or the hermit. And those are usually cards that have like bigger indications that have sort of bigger messages. So if you were doing a reading for yourself and you were and you were thinking about like what is something you should focus on, if you saw the hermit, there's a couple different ways that you could read it, but you might think, Okay, the hermit is usually a card that's talking about like keeping boundaries and knowing your inner self and, you know, using your your inner self to guide you. And when those come up, those major ones, that's usually when you want to pay just a little bit more attention. Do you, and you're probably going to get into this, I think I've gotten my tarot cards read to me twice. There's like a very clear sequence and they put certain cards here, then they flip them over and they're like, oh my God, do you know what this means? And like, I totally buy into all this stuff. So I wasn't trying to mock it at any way. But, no, but um, there definitely are people who read tarot that are more into that sort of surprise element and like, can you believe it? But I think, I think like modern, if, at least the tarot people that I follow are more about like, there is no such thing as a good and bad card. And like, you know, readings for people aren't about the surprise. It's not that about that circus trick element anymore. 
So, but there are some people that do that. So I, I would believe that. So then how do you learn? Do most people just read their own cards or is it more common for people to go get their cards read? You know, I think it's totally up to you. I mean, the, that's the nice thing about tarot is that because it's based on your intuition, because you can read it in so many different ways, it can be really great to go get them read, but it also is, it's equally great to have your own practice. And when you develop your own practice, you really start pretty simple. Okay. So you might just draw like one card a day. Oh, Usually what, that's what, what Rachel I do, does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In the morning is you just kind of like sit with your cards. You have maybe a little bit of time to sort of meditate and hold the cards and think about what you're, what's on your mind and what you're wondering about. You can ask a very specific question or you can just read the cards to read the cards. Both will yield nice effects depending on what you want. And then usually I'll just flip over one card in the morning and use that as my guide for the day. If I have time, then I'll do like a three card spread or I might do something else like a compass spread or there's so many different spreads that have been written that you can just kind of take from. Mm, there are cool. some very traditional spreads and then there are some that that are newer. Little Red Tarot runs a website. That website has so many different spreads on it and they're they're all created by Little Red Tarot. Mm -hmm. So some of them are, you know, they're newer and they're individualized. Um, and then if you're feeling like more confident or just really intuitive about the day, you might just kind of create your own spread on the spot. Huh, that's really cool. So Rachel and I have kind of talked about this a little bit, but from your perspective, especially since you've been relating to paganism for a long time, do you feel like there's like a resurgence of which, which culture that is kind of popping up in Western culture? Oh, yeah. Oh, what? my God. So much. So. Okay, okay. That's what my intuition was as well. But like, why? Well, I think it's because for a couple of reasons. One, there is a new, now we're in sort of like the fourth wave of feminism, right? And we haven't mm -hmm. quite identified what's going on yet. But there's something going on where women right now feel very much like their mother's feminism doesn't fit for them anymore. I'm not even really sure how to say it. But the way that my mom thinks about women's roles, like doesn't really resonate with me all the time. Because for me, so much of more of it is internal. And I think because of when she grew up, it had to be more external. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And now about like getting jobs and getting out of the house if you're like middle class. Yes. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. You mean external? Yeah, that that and also just making sure your external matches the ideal for a feminist or not too feminist sort of okay. thing. I think uh, now so many more women are focused on like the most important piece of their feminism for me, the most important piece of of my feminism is feeling totally grounded in who I am and what I want and what my power is and not worrying so much about quite as much about how I fit. Yeah. And I would say part of fourth wave two is like really bringing in intersectionality in terms of feminism always fucks up with women of color, like yeah. white feminism, right? That's always a problem. I'm not saying that is solved in any way, but also I think we're getting a lot better. Our generation is getting a lot better with intersectionality with genders, right? That it doesn't yeah. have to be just women, that it can be queer, trans, whatever gender, exactly. you know, any gender, all genders, that, that that's all encompassed with feminism, where like mom's feminism, feminism was very much like, we are women and we love our ovaries and you got to give us a raise because we deserve one and like fuck beauty standards. Yeah. And so... Because they had to do that. That was totally. their role then. And now our role now is sort of to explore what that means for us as people who want to be treated well in a society, we have to kind of identify who we are and say that out loud. 
And I don't think that our parents had that luxury because even if you just look at the way queer women express themselves across generations, like Mm -hmm. now we see such a variety in the way that people express themselves, like the way they dress us. And and it just wasn't the same then because you sort of had to say like, this is who I am. This is the clear thing that I'm fitting so you know how to identify me. And now it's, it's different. People are sort of like, doing whatever feels good and expressing themselves in really cool ways. And it doesn't always fit into the mold. No, it doesn't. But then also, as every wave of feminism tends to do, we also have some infighting that happens as well. Rachel and I have even gotten some stuff thrown at us from, they're like second wave feminists, but they're bringing back kind of the anti-porn, anti-sex work. Yeah, um, We are yeah. biological women and it's and they'll say like, we accept trans people and stuff, but we are women. And so we're always having to kind of deal with that issue as well. I about just, I just can't with that. Because <laughs> Rachel can't with that either. I try to be a little well, bit, I, I think because I'm a teacher, so I have to be like, well, I don't know. I must hear out yeah. all viewpoints. But yes, yeah, no, yeah we've talked about this. Point. It's garbage. Yeah. I mean, it's garbage. Like, number one, it's none of your business what genitals people have. And like, if someone is saying that they're they're living on the margins, they're being oppressed, like they're feeling like they're, they can't express themselves, they fit into the same boat as, as the right. rest of us. Right. Like, we all need to lift each other up. There's no reason to, like, I'd say, oh, well, certain women get to enjoy the benefits of feminism and certain women don't. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And it just really, that's exactly what the people in power want is for us to divide our, exactly. to be divided. And you, and you see that because, I, I mean, this is something I think about really all the time is there's so much built-in mistrust between all different types of folks who, who need more. And John and I have talked about this. There's like built-in mistrust between black men and white women. Mm-hmm. There's a fucked up history of relationships totally. there. Totally. And it's constantly reinforced because it's easier for us to not bind together and find a way to help each other raise up. It's easier for the people in power to keep us all in the same position fighting for one spot. Sweet. You're totally right. Yeah, because of all the I try to talk to my students about that about this history of white women are being taught to be scared of black men. And you know, one of my yep. students was even saying she's like, "I know that, you know, I'm not supposed to be scared of black guys, so then sometimes when I pass them, I'll like look up and smile and I'm like totally I've done that too." It's just such a f- fucked up thing and we're all messed up by it because black men will avoid white women on the streets you know right my i mean tell we're me that all crossing and... the street when we see each other like i i, yeah. I don't think black men are any more interested in, in dealing with white women than the other way around like right it's and and it's no one wants to talk about it because it feels uncomfortable to address it but it needs to be addressed and also we're not allowed to have those kind of expressive conversations yeah that whole conversation then leaves out black women and right exactly just Just whiteness being prioritized once again yeah yeah. have you been reading the book emergent strategy from ak press no you might really like it it's um kind of hippie woo woo but it's about um well i like hippie woo woo so. so there you go but we're reading it for like this feminist killjoys phd book club that we have on Facebook. I've been reading a little the first bit of it. And the general argument of the book is that micro conversations, you know, kind of like one on one organizing might be the way that we're going to get out of some of this mess, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of looking at like a giant movement is these micro conversations. So that's what I'm saying your conversations with john, my conversation with a Muslim student, those might make more of an impact in our general movement towards equity and social justice than some of the other movement theories that we followed. So anyways, you might Interesting. be. Interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely that. check that out. So I mean, there's definitely some of that in, in witchiness and witchery. 
there's a lot of because because it's sort of like an exciting new time for women to dive into witchcraft there's some definitely appropriation of cultural elements not just in witchery but like all just in in any spiritual practice there's a lot of elements that come from tribal tradition or native american traditions tarot is a very like european started thing but it's also been adopted and adapted by a lot of other cultures as well but then there's also like native american medicine cards and oracle cards and lots of other things that come that are born of other cultures that are now and now it's we're sort of figuring out like how do we not make how do we make sure we don't just adopt those things as well can you say a little bit more about that because as i've been digging into some of the witch stuff personally i've been really hesitant because even though i know my my aunt has said that we ha- we might have some like witchiness in our ancestry which i know is important to witch culture i'm just really n- nervous about tapping into a culture that is fairly foreign to me. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about Little Red Tarot, the how they're kind of queering some of these things, which I think is really important. Sometimes when, and I don't want to assume that the people that are doing all this changing are white, but as a white person, I don't want to dive into something that could be totally not acceptable. But because I'm, because we're ignorant with our history and all that, I might be unaware. So yeah, well, I, what I would say for tarot, at least, mm-hmm. is that tarot does come from a very European yeah. tradition, right? Right. And it, it's kind of like steeped in some patriarchal notions. So the the way it's been altered and changed actually, I think, really benefits everyone who's like reads tarot or uses tarot. Like the fact that it's become uh, more widespread to women of color, people of color, not mm-hmm. just women, people of color, like queer people who've changed it, adapted it, and made it more interesting and more dynamic and and fit more narratives i think is actually like gone the other way like for example i have a deck uh called the black power deck that actually john gave to me he's like so weird that i have this deck someone gave this to me and it feels like it needs to be yours and it's only the main the major arcana cards but it's Mm -hmm. all like famous black people from like past and present that are represent the cards. Then there's a great deck called the Slow Holler deck and that comes out of this like Southern queer tarot community and it's all queer and artists who are either queer or identify in some way as people of color. It's such a cool deck. It has such an interesting tone to it and like variety in it and they approach the core cards a little bit differently. I don't have that deck yet because it's constantly on back order because it's so awesome oh. and everybody wants it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's even like, I have a deck from Holly Simple and she's an artist who I really like. And she's taken the people out of the decks all, all together. So and... the, hers are more like like creatures in some oh, ways. That's really cool. I, I would say the rest of the, the witching world is still newer to me and I, I don't have the expertise in that at all. Um, not that I have expertise in tarot, but... I'm, I'm more digging in there. No, but yeah. there's definitely some things that I noticed I think are problematic that I think if you can avoid those, you can be pretty good. Like one thing that I've noticed is that like sage has become something that's now pretty readily available at places like Target. Oh, my God. And I was going to ask you, you about the commercialism. You do have intuition. You like know what questions <laughs> I'm going to ask because you just start answering them before I ask them. <laughs> Seriously, go on. Okay. Tell me about Target. Yeah, so like Target <laughs> sells sage, and they're the packaging for the sage has some tribal print on it. 
And so that is a problem. Like that is the, you know, Target's trying to capitalize on what they notice is more witching, witchery happening. And this is an easy, one easy entrance is sage. Like a lot of people use sage, but it also comes from like a lot of traditional cultures. Like, you know, not only do Native Americans use sage traditionally, like there have been European witches that have used sage as well. Mm-hmm. It's Latinx cultures use, use sage as well. Mm-hmm. Like there's mm-hmm. so many different variations of where it comes from. I use it as well. I, I sage my cards before I read. It's a cleanser. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome it smells amazing you can buy it at a local shop you can grow it yourself and dry it yeah you can order it online from places that are just not target Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just like the packaging and when things start to get labeled a certain way, that's when the, that's when it gets really tricky. Yeah. And then it always comes back. Something that Rachel and I talk a lot about is, okay, but in the end, the sage is for good, right? It's not like if we're teaching more people to be more aware of their environment, that's a good thing, but not at the cost of commercialization and exploitation. Right. So Right. And yeah, commercialization... Maybe, but exploitation is where the I think that problem is the packaging, the way it was packaged. Yeah. It's like if they were just selling sage on the rack and it was like sage, then it's like okay, well that I'll take it. But if it's like yeah. Native American sage, then Shut that's up. more of a so. And, and there's there's witch practices in so many cultures, and I think they're all so fascinating. And and really, I I think about you know when you when you start looking into something maybe that attracts you about with being a witch, it's so much of it is about being authentic. So what calls you is generally what kind of fits in your own cultural experience anyway, because you're filtering it through your own experience. And your your intuition is, is something you have innately, but it's also been grown inside of your body right. and inside of your mind. And so for me, it would be inauthentic for me to say, okay, well, I'm a Native American spirit guide because mm-hmm. I'm not. Right. I haven't had the experience. Maybe if I studied with witch who was practiced in that and like spend some time with that person like maybe I don't know where would I get that experience from besides just grabbing it and trying it on my own if I were to try it on my own that's a very personal thing and I feel like with so much with the problem with cultural appropriation is when you uh, use it as a as a demonstrative tool like this is who I am because that's not who you are but if you for example want to read about Native American spiritualism and you buy some Native American medicine cards and you're interested in them and you you're you're practicing them for yourself and trying it that to me doesn't feel and maybe I'm totally wrong but that to me doesn't feel like appropriation as much as like honoring that system and learning mm-hmm. about it for example in in Minneapolis you go to the Native American trade post or whatever by Marie's cafe and there's things in there like I last time I went in there there were feathers for example so maybe maybe you're interested in buying a feather because you are like curious about what the fe- what the symbolism of the feather is in witchcraft or what it's used for or maybe you're just curious about having one to brush your sage and mm-hmm. just to have it but if you're like then taking it buying it in bulk and reselling it under your own brand as like white lady feathers that's gonna be a problem right right so that's it's like where do you draw the line i think in your own personal exploration it's totally fine to read about all the the long history of witchcraft in many many different cultures and maybe even some of them call to you and you want to try them but doing it and and claiming it as your own that's where it starts to become a problem so i wouldn't hear it if i were you you'll know what's right that's the thing about witchcraft and being you know calling yourself a witch or even or even saying you're dabbling in it it's about trust 
in your own intuition and knowing that you can guide yourself in the right direction. Okay, well, I would love to talk to you for like forever more, but I know. Um, 55 minutes later. Is there anything else that you want to share that is on your brain that, that you haven't yet? Well, yeah, what I would say is just like if you're starting a practice, if you're curious about tarot, well, the first thing I would do is just go get a reading. See if it's something you even like because maybe you don't like it. There's nothing wrong with not liking it. It's not for everybody. There might be something else that you find more appealing, like maybe you're a crystal person or maybe you're into healing touch or something else like that. Or maybe you like to cast spells or do things with moon cycles. I don't know. There's so many things you can explore. But get a reading and then um, if you're curious again after that, buy a deck. And you can buy so many cool decks online or you can just start really simple and buy the you know original Rider Waite deck for like $6 on Amazon. Mm. And just kind of get to know it, play with it, experiment with it, read the book that comes with it and just be open to trying it and not necessarily knowing what you're doing. That's great. I will take that advice as well. Although I'm not going to go on Amazon because we have a witch district that I've told listeners about before. Yes, we do. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if they have, if the witch of the future has like a strict right away deck, but they definitely have some cool decks there that I've picked up. And oh, they definitely have their those decks in their library. They have a little like tarot library that you can oh. just sit at their table yeah. and play with the decks. And I've done that before. And there's some really crazy ones from the past. Oh my gosh, you just like set up a Saturday for me. Thank you very yep, much. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. Cool. Okay, well, Hannah, we'll have to have you back for sure. Oh my god, dream podcast. Rachel's gonna agree with this is to like have you and John on at the same time. Yes. Have you heard? Have you ever heard? World domination plans. I think we've had two pretty wild. No, both of them have been. Like, have you listened to our interviews with John? Yeah, that's how I initially heard the podcast. Oh, okay. Because yeah, he's hilarious, and like yeah. <laughs> him and I like really jive. Like our humor is very similar. So, and then Rachel's just like, "What do you? Can we get back to the question?" And then we're like, "No, we can't. We're gonna sing another song for you, Rachel." So, having everybody yeah. around. to break.
and cut. All right, yay.